When you have a pressing question about your finances, is there someone you can ask who has all the answers and no judgment whatsoever? Luckily for me, I can ask my mom, Kara, who has 30 years of experience on Wall Street and runs Seven Pillars Institute, a think tank focused on financial ethics. When I graduated from Dartmouth College about a year ago and saw the start of my career on the horizon, I had more and more questions to ask my mom about finances. Adulting means that things aren't as simple as the four years of college anymore. Now you have to think about your salary, taxes, 401k, and investment accounts. As she answered each of my questions, I thought about all the other 20-somethings who have the same questions as me, but don't have an in-house financial guru. Our podcast answers your questions about personal finance and the macro-level economy in a digestible, approachable way. I'm Shira Bala, this is Dr. Karatan Bala, and welcome to Future You Podcast. Please note that you should always think for yourself to make the best financial decisions and that we are simply discussing some general ideas. This podcast is not sponsored. Hi everyone, thanks for listening to the first episode of Future You. I want to start this episode by introducing myself and my mom slash co-host so you can get a sense of who we are and why we're interested in talking about this topic with you. So for me, my name is Shira Bala. I graduated from Dartmouth College in 2022 with a double major in French and government. I received a Fulbright scholarship after graduation and spent the 2022 to 2023 academic year as a Fulbright English teaching assistant in Luxembourg. I just returned stateside this summer and I'm embarking on my first job, which has really increased my interest in financial literacy and managing personal finances as well. As for my mom and my co-host, Kara Tanbala is the president and founder of Seven Pillars Institute for Global Finance and Ethics, the world's only independent think tank for research, education, and promotion of financial ethics. She has nearly 30 years of experience in global finance, much of which was gained through working on Wall Street. She has been a sell-side equity analyst, a sell-side equity salesperson, a buy-side equity analyst, a portfolio manager, and a lecturer in finance. She has five degrees across three disciplines, so many degrees. She has a bachelor's from the City University of London, a master's in business from Oxford University in the UK, uh, a master's in liberal studies from NYU, and a master's in PhD in philosophy from the University of Kansas. As you can probably tell from the title of my mom's book, Ethics and Finance, Case Studies from a Woman's Life on Wall Street, she enjoys sharing her work and lessons from her career in finance. We named this podcast Future You because when my mom has given me financial advice throughout my life, she was always talking about investing in yourself for the future. Mom, could you elaborate on this idea more? Thanks for asking these questions. Um, Future You will thank present you for investing. Now, there are many future yous. There is the short-term future you, let's just say one year ahead of time. There is a medium-term future you, which is five years ahead of time. And then there's long-term future you, which is more than 10 years uh, ahead of time. So as I've told you, uh, you must make career goals and financial goals, both for the short-term, the medium-term, and the long-term. If if you invest now 
and you say well in a year or two years time I would like to have a little bit of money if I want to go to graduate school and you will have uh, saved enough money for graduate school and then you must also save enough money and invest enough money for medium-term you and then for uh, long-term you so let's say we look at the long term uh, and you will soon see that you will have expenses like um, buying a house, uh, like I said, graduate school, or as if you get married, have children, and then you'll have healthcare expenses. And of course, there's always nice to have extra money to buy those nice things that you want, the consumer durables. So let's say you invest $100 a month for the next 30 years, and we have conservatively 4% returns on investment a year. By the end of 30 years, you should have $68,000, and that's a low rate of 4%. At 7% returns, you'll get back $115,000. So the better you invest, the higher returns you'll get for your future you. So that's where the name of our podcast comes from, this idea of investing in future you and um, really just setting yourself up for success, which is so important, right? Um, And throughout the podcast, this episode and other episodes, you'll definitely hear us coming back to this um, notion of future you. Um, But for now, I kind of want to refocus on where we are at this moment. So when I graduated from college last year, um, and kind of also now when I know that I'll be starting my first job soon, I had a lot of questions, right? I practically bombarded you with questions about my salary, investing, and credit cards as, you know, among other topics. So what advice did you have for me and for everyone else in a similar stage of life with how to approach their first salary? Well, the first salary is always very exciting. I remember getting my first paycheck and I said, I am actually going to blow a lot of money in my first paycheck on something that I've always wanted. So I bought a car. Um, <laughs> but the car was not a Porsche. Uh, it was a Honda Accord, but it was brand new. And I paid for it uh, up front because I already had savings and with my first month's salary. Um, so you can blow your first salary on something which you've always desired and which you can afford, but please don't get into debt in order to pay for it. Um, but going forward with your, uh, with your other uh, future salary checks, I think you should actually put away some money for first retirement and second for savings uh, for not retirement, but when you're in your 30s or 40s so that you can buy a house or you can have money at your disposal if anything bad happens so that you will always have that money to reach for and not be worried. So a lot of this investing for future you is to relieve the stress that you will feel of not having money in the future because that is stressful. Yeah, absolutely right. So you need to have some, um, hopefully, disposable income to enjoy some things in the short term. 
And then I also be conscious about what you would ideally like to have in uh, later in life, in retirement, with your savings, and um, um, anything else that you'd like to invest for. So taking another step back, so you get this first salary um, payment. How do you think about your salary usually on a day-to-day basis? Do you think of it more in the gross income sense uh, before taxes or any kinds of contributions? Or is it better, uh, or do you usually think about it in the net income sense? I usually think of it in the net income sense because that's actually how much you will receive in hand. Um, And, you know, taxes vary across different states, like New York and New York City, very high um, income taxes and state taxes and city taxes. But if you live in somewhere without income tax, like state income tax, like Florida, much lower taxes. So it makes a huge difference on how much you receive on hand in, in terms of, of uh, after-tax income. So I look at uh, after-tax income because it's more useful as a guide to how much you have to spend and to save. Right. So you can kind of keep the gross number in mind, um, obviously just to have it and maybe in the future for salary negotiations that might come up. But on the day-to-day basis, you're thinking of how much money you actually have to spend, how much money you actually have to work with, right? Um, so So you're thinking in the net income sense. Um, and along with that, I know that for me, I had a lot of questions about, uh, you know, I'll be moving to DC, DC rent can be expensive. And I know a lot of my friends and uh, people listening to this podcast are also renters and would have questions about how much of their salary they can spend on rent. So there's a rule of thumb, right? For how much of your gross salary you can spend on rent. Yes, uh, the general rule of thumb for how much you can spend on rent is 30% of gross income. So if you make $100,000, you'll spend $30,000 on rent. Um, So that would be a good uh, rule of thumb. And it has been in existence since I started working in the 1980s. And some people say, hey, that's an old rule of thumb because inflation has gone up. Uh, rents have gone up so much, especially in huge city, big cities like New York and DC where you're moving. So I would say in your approach to investing and in your fo- approach to spending, just be reasonable. Always have that state of mind called the golden mean. Not too much and not too little. But 30% is a good rule of thumb. Um, if you have no not a lot of other expenses such as um, huge um, student loans or if you have huge uh, healthcare costs. So you must consider all that. But if you're just generally a normal person, kind of like you, you'd say 30% of gross income. Okay. And there it's okay to think in the gross income sense. Correct. Okay. Got it. Um. Yeah. So definitely just not exceeding that 30% amount um, and trying not to uh, uh, pay exorbitant amounts for your rent, hopefully, um, although it can be hard, right, in New York or D.C. Um, great. So then 
When you mentioned earlier, uh, you mentioned earlier how to approach your first salary and you said, well, you could kind of blow it on some, uh, you know, luxury purchases you've had in mind for a while. Uh, but also you can just right away start, um, contributing it to certain investments and, um, accounts that will be useful to you in the future or for future you. So, um, Let's talk about first, you mentioned retirement and the 401k, which I think now to the millennial and Gen Z population is definitely um, a marker of adulting when you're talking about your 401k. So what advice do you have for 401k contributions just in general when you start your first job and you're asked how much you want to contribute? Yeah, don't you love all these uh, numbers in uh, letters 401k, 503b, but that's all, as you say, part of adulting. So let's talk about the 401k, which is a pension plan, and it's called the defined uh, contribution plan, where the worker or the, the employee uh, contributes to his or her own uh, pension plan. And if you work for a good company or one which has a uh, a good uh, employee uh, benefit system, the employer should also contribute a little bit to your 401k. So you'll have like a double whammy. You'll have your contribution and you'll have your employer's contribution. And that would add up considerably over the years. So as a rule of thumb, I would say try and contribute at least 10% of your income, uh, of your net income to a 401k plan. Now, the good thing about a 401k uh, contribution is that you can, uh, it is actually uh, deferred taxes so that it would be deducted from your gross income, but it will not be part of your taxable income. So that's another advantage of having a 401k plan and contributing to it. So if, let's say you have $50,000 a year after tax, uh, you would contribute $5,000 a year to your 401k plan and that would build up and that would increase as your salary increases. The other thing about planning for uh, future you is always have a positive frame of mind and say, yeah, I'm going to have uh, increasing salary. So manifest that you will earn more and that you will... Uh, have a good career path uh, in order to continue planning. Definitely, it's all about manifesting. So uh, how, usually you access the 401k when you retire, right? So um, how old would you usually be when you access it? Well, you can start withdrawing from your 401k at 59 and a half. I'm not sure why they put that half in, but yeah, at 59 and a half, you can start withdrawing your 401k plan money without penalty. Now, you can start withdrawing 401k plan money before 59 and a half, but you will incur a penalty on your withdrawal. So I'm not sure what it is now. I think it's 10% and, and uh, you'll have to pay that. So you basically lose 10% of your whatever you withdraw from your 401k. And... Um, I would strongly discourage you from drawing uh, from your 401k before 59 and a half because that is a penalty you don't need to 
to pay. And I know that a lot of people do because they have emergency needs. So that is where we will go on to saving money in a savings account, which you can access without having to go to your 401k immediately. Yeah, perfect. I think that's a great transition to uh, the next type of account we wanted to talk about when you're approaching your first salary. So you get your first salary, obviously some of it will be um, in your checking account as you're uh, spending money for groceries, for what you're doing on the day-to-day. You're contributing some of it, maybe 10% at least, maybe more, to your 401k. And then um, you're also thinking about savings, right? So what should people be thinking about in terms of um, their savings account? Should they open um, another investment account maybe? what? And you know, a lot of people also talk about Roth IRAs these days. So do you have any uh, type of advice for uh, making these uh, first efforts at investment with your first salary? Um, yeah, I think it's quite useful for future you to have a savings account as well as an investment uh, account. Now, what is the difference? The savings account is something you'll have with a commercial bank, um, in such as Citibank or uh, Commerce Bank, which is the bank in the Midwest. Um, and you just open a savings account and they will say, okay, it goes with your checking account. And if you have a checking account and a savings account at a bank, it's very likely that you will get free banking if you have a combined total of, say, $5,000 in both checking and savings. So then you don't have to pay for uh, a lot of fees for uh, the services that the bank offers. So you would open a checking account, you will open a savings account, and in that savings account, you can put in whatever amount you can afford, as much as you can afford without living a life of, uh, you know, of a pauper. We want you to enjoy life too, but we want you to also save for, for the future. Um, so you would say, let's say you have already put 10% into your 401k, you put like 2 or 3% into your savings account, and then you have an investment account, uh, let's say with Vanguard, uh, which is one of the uh, funds that you can open uh, with the lowest fees they don't charge a lot of fees and you can do a lot of the stuff online it's very simple to learn they have lots of tutorials you just go into the website and they teach you what to do and in that you can put two or three percent as well uh, into the uh, an investment account and from that you can learn how to buy stocks and bonds um, and we will get into that later I'm sure and uh, so you would have 2 or 3% pure savings, which is just money that you can withdraw for whatever needs you have or wants you have, 2 or 3% in stocks and bonds. And those are not as liquid as cash, but they're also considered savings. Thank you. So you have this distribution now, um, ideally of having your savings account, uh, a separate investment or brokerage account, um, and then, of course, your 401k and uh, finally, of course, the money that you're using monthly for your rent and for groceries and for other things like that. Um, so I think, you know, that sets you up pretty well, right? If you have kind of those different buckets and accounts that 
uh, you're starting with um, from the get-go, right? Um, that's really setting yourself up for success. Um, so I think that's all we have uh, for you today in terms of your first salary. Um, and we really want to thank you for listening to this first episode of Future You. We definitely have a lot more of content that we would like to talk about. Uh, credit cards, more investing advice, um, and so on. So thank you for listening and have a great day. Bye. Bye.